We want to welcome you uh, all across Rockbridge, all of our campuses, the five campuses that we have in Northwest Georgia and in Tennessee, and our soon-to-be sixth campus in Cleveland. Uh, thank you so much for being here on this incredible Mother's Day weekend. As we come out of that video, it just really communicates something that's just dear uh, to what, Beth, what we're experiencing, Beth and I, uh, this past week about just the fact that Rockbridge is such an amazing family, you know, for uh, 16 years, you know, you've, um, you've let us love you in some difficult situations. Uh, you know, I've preached some of your relatives' funerals. I've been with you in hospital situations and scary situations. And so this past week in the Evans household, you know, those roles were reversed. And uh, I just want to thank you for that and for being with my family and I and being with uh, Beth in her, your prayers Friday, Saturday morning, early Saturday morning. You know, we went into the emergency room, and they could not even detect her blood pressure. And then uh, this afternoon, she's sitting in a chair. Um, so just thank you. Uh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> thank, you for, uh, thank you for praying for us. You know, we've still got some challenges ahead, as, uh, as all of us do. But uh, it's just great uh, to just be a part of the family of God here at Rockbridge uh, Community Church. And as my wife said when she uh, fought her battle with leukemia, and this is why I love to preach. She said this, and it's nothing truer has ever been spoken. She said, the greatest miracle, though, is our salvation in Jesus Christ. And it is our prayer that you walk deeper in that, get introduced to that, uh, as you're with us here in this church, where our mission is to connect, to glorify God by connecting people from all walks of life to life in Christ. So what we're doing uh, this series and this Mother's Day weekend is we're uh, working on love, Right? And we've said that love is more than a feeling and that we really, in, in our world today, Christian, non-Christian, everybody thinks love is the solution to, to so many of our problems. And what we want to do is to be able to get love right. And, and how do we get love right? Is love what I say it is, what you say it is, what Taylor Swift sings it is? Is love what Hollywood portrays it to be? What is love? And so we're like, hey, let's just check with God on this. Let's check with Jesus who, who walked in love. And so uh, we're reminded of maybe the importance of love in a chapter in the Bible that you might have had read at your wedding or you've been to a wedding where it was read. And it's 1 Corinthians 13, which will be our anchor passage today. But just the importance of love jumps out. If I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions and if I give over my body in order to boast but do not have love... I gain nothing. So we got to, have to get love right. Because if, if we do all these things and don't have love, then we're wrong. And so what I want to ask us to do today is to begin maybe laying the Bible over your practice or your intentions or your thoughts about love. And in particular, we'll talk about it as it intersects the home. So I'll, I'll share with you a couple of weeks ago, it was Easter weekend, <clears throat> and it was Beth's birthday. So I'll just show you, you know, how loving I was or how loving I thought I was of what we did on Beth's birthday. So the first thing is I remembered. So check, right? That's big for guys sometimes. You know, I remembered it was her birthday. It was over Easter weekend, which is like, you know, it's not like the Super Bowl for pastors. It's busy. It's hectic. You know, we got way more services. So I got it done over Easter weekend, and I think I should get extra credit for that, right? I mean, I, I, I love more than a feeling, right? I picked out a nice restaurant that I knew she loved, the boys loved. So check, boom. It required a reservation. That's how nice it was. And I made the reservation, right? So check, check, right there. I surprised her with it. I didn't tell her we were doing anything. And then late in the day, you know, I said, 
see, I called her because I and I was like, "Hey, we're going to this place and uh, for your birthday, and the boys are going, and we're ready." And so check right, maybe a little like uh, you know extra credit for that. And then I helped get the boys ready, which is like a big deal in our house, especially if you're going to go to a nice restaurant where you can't wear Under Armour, Nike, or Adidas, right? So all of that to say, it, it, was I loving? I mean, and that's a lot of what we do when we think about love. And, and like even on a weekend like Mother's Day, it's like flowers, card, you know, mom doesn't have to cook, mom doesn't have to clean, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's so tempting to, say, to look at what we do, to look at our list, check, 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 and to say, hey, I, I, I'm a loving dad, I'm a loving father, I'm a loving husband, I'm a loving kiddo, uh, you know, I'm a loving Christ follower, or I've got love right, all right? Well, let me tell you the rest of the story. So, I mean, by any stretch of the imagination, you know, I, I, I think I'm doing okay, right? And you would say, oh, you know, that's pretty cool, and that was a great, day, great idea or whatever. Uh, and you've probably got better ideas. But the rest of the story is this, okay? So we get in the car, and one of our kiddos was uh, doing something. And it was, it was one of those boy things. It wasn't like defiance. It wasn't deception. It was one of those boy things. But, you know, I, it was over Easter weekend, and so, I, you know, I'm, like, tired, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so I uh, reacted and really went into a, what I would call an over-discipline mode. You know, and you see that when you confuse your kids. You know, when they do something just dumb and defiant and wrong and you discipline, they're kind of like, yeah, yeah, you got me. I know I deserve that. But I could tell reading his body language that I, I had just crossed that boundary, and we'll read about it in Scripture in just a second what that is. And, and, and I was like overreacting, over-discipline. And, you know, and I'm trying to love my wife. It's her birthday, right? And then she, Beth makes this very sta- this statement real calm. And, and when she did it, I knew. I was not getting love right. She said, hey, Matt, not on my birthday. Okay? Now, look, we look at this list here, and and you've got your list, maybe how you love your kids, you love your wife, you love your husband, all that kind of stuff, you love your mom. We look at this list here, and we're like, man, we're getting love right. We're getting love right. And then, you know, then what's not reflected on this list is a big part of love that, that really Beth identified when she said to me, just, hey, not, not on my birthday. And, and it's so easy for us to overlook that love more than a feeling, that there's a p- part of love that you really can't put a list to. That there's a part of love that you can't schedule, that you can't RSVP, that you can't res- reserve. There's a part of love that's, e- and, this, and this part of love that we're going to look at today, it, it can trump your actions. It, it, it can outweigh all of the actions you do. This, this kind of this part of love, this aspect of love that we're going to talk about today, it can be greater than your intentions because you can intend one thing and another thing can be communicated or articulated or experienced by the very people you're hoping that you love well. And, and so let's kind of go to God's Word and identify what's not on my list that Beth caught so readily, so quickly, and so appropriately. So we continue navigating through the love passage of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, 4. And when, when, when Paul begins to describe love, the first word he chooses is not love is an ooey-gooey feeling. Love is not a hole that you fall into, you know? L- love is not, oh, at first sight. The first word he picks is love is patient. Now listen, in, in English, there's one word for patience. In Greek, there's two words. And and, and let me tell you the difference, and I'll tell you what this one is. The first word is like to just get through adversity. And it's kind of the patience of what we might say, this too shall pass. You know, we're going to get through this, just hang in there. 
And then there's another Greek word for patience that's really probably better called long-suffering. It's where you hang in there with someone even when uh, they're not that great or even when they've got annoyances or even when they, they hurt you or even when they're disagreeable or even when, you know, they might be, you know, kind of unlovable. And so he starts love with saying, hey, you got to be patient when people annoy you. You got to be patient when people frustrate. If you're going to be loving, if you're going to get love right, you have to suffer long with difficult people. And, and, and let's all not raise our hands. I'll raise them for you. Haven't we and aren't we all at times difficult people? Amen. You know, can we get an amen? Right? Yeah, exactly. You know, so let's not fool ourselves. So I, I'm like, Paul, why do you start with that one? You know, I, let's go back to my list, Paul. I mean, I remembered it's over Easter weekend, right? Check, check, check. Love is patient. And then he goes, I says, love is kind. And then he gives some negatives. These are descriptions more than they are anything else. Love does not envy. It's not boastful. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not looking out for it, number one. How about this one? Love is not irritable. Love is not irritable and does not keep a record of wrongs. And so when I look back at my list and when I look at God's word, and I say, okay, and here's what we have to do. If we're committed to being Jesus lovers and Jesus followers, you cannot and I cannot judge and base our actions on what we think it is. We have to lay our actions and inactions. We have to lay God's word on top of it and say, okay, you, God's word is a mirror. God's word is going to show me where I'm lacking, where I need encouragement, where I need comfort. So you have to let the word of God read your life. What we tend to do is what? Hey, God, I'm good. Pat ourselves on the back, move on. Oh, preacher's talking about love today. I can kind of tune that one out. That's for the other people in the room. But you really got to say, okay, God, this is what I did. And this is what you say. Search me and know me. And if there's anything offensive in me, let's root that out. Let's take care of that. And what Paul's list has in it that my list does not have in it is this, love cultivates a certain tone, or we might say an atmosphere, a culture, a vibe, okay? So look, we can go to nice restaurants, we can squeeze stuff in on busy schedules and busy weekends, we, we can remember to, you know, honor certain days and certain moments in our loved one's lives. We can kind of even be cute and creative with surprises and stuff like that. We can go a little bit extra in what we do around the house. But if the tone is wrong, and Paul says irritable, rude, long-suffering, kind, if the tone is wrong, then love's not there. If the tone ain't right, let's use some bad English, okay? Love ain't either. And, and so today what we're going to look at is the tone of our homes and our marriages, of our relationships. The tone of when we're sitting at dinner. Are we looking at our smartphones and then going home and saying, hey, we spent time with the kids today? Uh, the, the tone of, hey, we, took, we, we, we have date night every month, you know, my wife and I. The tone is just not there. Uh, it, it, we're we're going to say, hey, I walk into church, 
And, and you know, as Christians, we're responsible. There's a tone of the church, right? Hey, we got good music. We have you know, okay preaching or whatever. And uh, we got bulletins and we got great buildings and all that. But if the tone is not right, love's not right. And go back to verses one through three. And if we don't have love, we don't have anything right. And, and so I messed that up for about five minutes until I repented with my family, right? On my best birthday. And we had to end up having a good time. But if the tone's not right, love's not right. Let me, let me show you this in Proverbs, how they say it. Better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. So this is like saying, hey, better to have beets, broccoli, and Brussels sprouts than Ruth Chris Steakhouse if you got love present with the beets, broccoli, and Brussels sprouts. And now we think, we, in our fallen, our brokenness, we're like, no, 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 I killed the best calf for you. I paid the big dollar for the car, for the suit, for the birthday, for the flowers. And the writer of Proverbs, most likely Solomon here, he's like, no, 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 but listen, listen, listen. If the tone's not right, love's not there. The tone's not right, love's not there. Now, on this Mother's Day weekend, it would be easy for me to say, and aren't we all aware that mama set the tone? You've heard the saying, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? But what, when, I, when, I, when I took that cultural saying and I went to God's Word, I found something surprising. In God's Word, it's not just mama's who are responsible for the tone of the home, okay? It's everybody. That God says, no, no, if we're going to all get love right, you got to pay attention to the tone. Are we irritable? Are we boastful? Are we rude? Or are we kind? Or are we patient? And, and so look at this survey of God's Word. In Ephesians 6, we talk about the home a little bit. Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Honor is a tone. Honor is a culture, kids. All, all of us that, you know, that are, have children, that are children, that we're sons and daughters of somebody, if they're still with us. I mean, honor is a part of culture. Honor is a part of the tone. Now, then he goes to fathers. Fathers, do not, and this is my sin on best birthday, do not exasperate your children or make them bitter or frustrate them. So dads, and he says, instead, bring them up in the training instruction of the Lord. He says, dads, you can talk to your kids. You can discipline your kids. But if you do it in such a way that embitters them or exasperates them or, frust- exasperates them or frustrates them, you've messed up the tone of the home. You've messed up the tone of the father-child relationship. So kids, you got to create honor in the home. Dads, you can't frustrate people in the home. And then look at Colossians. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Probably the best way to say that was create a culture of respect. Create a culture of respect in the home as is fitting in the Lord. And then look at this one. Husbands, love your wives. And notice what he says. He gives a negative. And don't be harsh with them. See, I can go back to my list and say, look, nice restaurant. I remembered. It's a reservation. I help with the kids. But if there's harshness, that's the opposite of love. So our challenge today together is, would we all take responsibility or a little bit more responsibility for the tone in my home, in my church, in my job, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, your small group, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Because if we have not love, we have nothing. And if the tone, if, if the tone ain't right, love ain't right. So we all want to take responsibility for the tone, the love tone, the culture, the climate in, in the places where God places us. So, so let's go back and, and read this one more time through that lens. So love is patient or long-suffering. 
Even when people disappoint you, hurt you, defy you, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It's not boastful. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not irritable. And it does not keep a record of wrongs. Now, when we talk about tone and we lay it over this text and we let this text help us define it, and we said, hey, if Paul is talking about a love tone, the tone of love with patience and kindness and not being irritable and stuff, what's he really saying? What would the opposite of that look like? That's another way to read scripture. All right, you're painting this picture to help us understand it, God. What's the opposite of what you're painting? And I think the opposite would be moodiness and irritability. Don't raise your hand. I'll raise it for us. All of us say amen. Yeah, got that right. So, so moodiness and irritability. Now, here's the challenge that, that, we're gonna, that we need to understand, or here's why this is so important. Like, if, if the tone is up and down based on the mood you're in, or how easily you and I get irritated, and God, if you just wouldn't do that, I'd be fine. Uh, irritability, right? Here, here's why this is so important, okay? And this is why Beth said, hey, Matt, not on my birthday, okay? Because people close to us experience and feel our moods. And in that way, our moods are oftentimes greater than our actions and intentions. That's why the writer in Proverbs said, hey, better you just eat the nasty vegetables that don't taste good than the fattened calf that does taste good. If you, don't, if, if you got love, go with vegetables. If, if it's one or the other, that's the choice you should make. So, so you, listen, in your house, in your job, in your work climate, in your small group, as you come in and experience the corporate part of Rockbridge, what people experience more than anything, before they experience my preaching or the music, what people experience in your home before they taste the meal you prepared or sleep on the clean bed that you might have made, is the mood, the tone. And that's, and that's why this is so important if we're going to get love right. And in that way, moods, hey Beth, hey Matt, 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 Matt not on my birthday, the, the mood, the tone you're establishing is going to outweigh the restaurant and it's going to outweigh the reservation. It's going to outweigh the surprise. And it's going to block love. That's what she was telling me. So let's get love right. And take responsibility for the tone. In our homes. In our church. In our groups. Wherever we go. Now here, here's the challenge though. Okay. Because a lot of us have bought into a cultural societal lie. And the cultural and societal lie is simply this. I'm in a mood and I can't help it. It is just how I feel today. It's just how I woke up today. Or you would be in this kind of mood too if you had to live under the same roof with you, right? <laughs> so, so really... It's real easy to, when you say mood, it's real easy for us to just throw our hands up, put our hands in the pocket, our pockets and go, I can't help it because of you or because of the weather or what happened at work or, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. So, so here's what I want to ask this to do. If we're going to move forward in this text, if we're going to obey this text, which is the goal of any, any passage of the Bible, is how do we obey it, is this. Before we just accept our mood, we need to question it. Before we accept our mood, hey, this is just me. I'm just in a bad mood, you know? It, so so I'll, I'll be honest with you. On, on Easter weekend, for me, it, it is kind of hectic. It's, you know, in my flesh, I feel a little pressure and all that. That's wrong. I get that. And so it'd be easy for me to say, well, it's just busy. And, 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 and to my kids, why can't you just do all this stuff, right? 
And then just say, well, if he wouldn't, I wouldn't. If he wouldn't, I wouldn't. And, and then it takes you know, a wife who's gracious enough to speak truth to you and say, hey, not, not, it's not, not, not today. Let's, let's talk about mood. So let's, Matt, I, I should have questioned my mood, not just accepting our, 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 my mood, okay? Because here's the deal. Here's what we all do. And I, I just go inside your brain, and really I'm just telling you a reflection of what goes on in my brain. What, we're tending, what we tend to do is we read passages like 1 Corinthians 13. We read them at weddings, and it's all kind of idealistic, honeymoonish, and, and it's so beautiful. And then what happens is this. Life happens. You get around people that require patience. You get a lot around people that are easy to irritate you, right? And all, and all that. And then suddenly it goes from 1 Corinthians 13 and says, man, that's great, but I'm the exception. And the lie we often tell ourselves is this, I'm the exception, so I have an excuse. I'm the exception, so I have an excuse. And it goes like this. If you had had as busy a day as I'd have had, you'd be in this kind of mood. If, if you had to live with you too, you'd be in this kind of mood, right? If you, if you would just stop, then I wouldn't react. And if you would just, I would. And it's back and forth and him and all. And what we're saying is, hey, love is patient when you really don't test my patience. Lo- love is kind as long as you're okay, right? Love isn't rude as long as you're cool, right? And, and we just kind of create these little exceptions in, 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 the, in God's Word. And here's what we're doing when we're doing that. Listen. Here's what we're doing when we're doing that. We're saying this. Listen. God's Word, or 1 Corinthians 13, man, that applies to the general population. But in my unique, specific situation, in my unique, specific home, or my unique, specific you know, father-child, father-daughter, you know, husband-wife relationship, it doesn't really apply because I know what's best. And what's best is not for love to be patient, but for love to be quick-tempered. What's best is not for love not to be irritable, but for me to just show my frustration. And so we make ourselves in that moment the definer and the arbitrator of what love is and what love is not. Because we're basically saying, hey, God's word will put you on the shelf because I'm the exception on this day, in this season, in this relationship, in this environment. And you go to verse 6, though, and he challenges us. He says, look, love finds no joy in unrighteousness but rejoices in the truth. Now, here's what that means. God is the author and perfecter of righteousness and truth. So if I say, hey, I know what's right and true in this situation, which excuses me from taking responsibility for the tone of my relationships, and if the tone ain't right, love ain't right, but then we get this exception mentality, this excuse mentality, what we're saying is we are the ones who now are arbitrating and defining right and truth, not God, not God's Word. That's why it takes a whole lot of humility and a whole lot of courage to take 1 Corinthians 13 and just lay it on top of your relationships and say, God, read me, search me. And if it's not right in me, align me, bring me back into alignment. Very few people want to do that on a consistent basis because it's challenging. Because suddenly my excuses just sort of kind of, instead of putting God's word to the shelf, I have to put my excuses to the shelf. Understand this about human nature, which is all of us here today. We love to find an excuse outside ourselves 
so we can overlook or excuse the real problems going on inside ourselves. We love to say, no, 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 it's you more than me. Or if you wouldn't, I wouldn't have to. So we love to look for that excuse so we can overlook or have an excuse for the real problem going on inside ourselves. And that's my tendency, that's your tendency. Uh, in, in most marriage counseling environments that, that I have been brought into, we have to get past this to make progress back to love. Now, it's interesting. Again, let's let God's Word read as Proverbs 15, 16 says this, Fools show their annoyance at once. So immediately, when we immediately hair trigger, contempt, (laughs) passive aggressive, whatever we do, show our annoyance at once, the Bible says we're fools. Go to Corinthians and and go to the New Testament, and the Bible says we're not getting love right. So, So how do we begin to progress, and how do we begin to correct, and how are we going to move forward? Well, I think we got to realize something else. The mood I'm in often correlates to the master I'm serving. The mood you're in, and this is where, so what, what is this? What is this moodiness? What is this irritability? What is this joy? You know, you can be happy because you got to raise and, and say, thank God for that. But if your joy is correlating to, or your mood is correlating to your money, you know, ins and money's outs, and who's your master? God or money? If your mood is all dependent upon your likes on Facebook and social media, who's your master? If your mood is contingent upon people not irritating you, who's your master? So so take some of Paul's words. He says, love is patient. If we're impatient, here's what we're saying. I I should not have to put up with him or her or this or that. If we're boastful or arrogant, what are we saying? Hey, it's all about me, myself, and I uh, on the front page, and the world revolves around us. If it's envy, we're saying, I should have that. And, and so what we're saying is, I, I, I. And so there's two usual suspects when we find ourselves in a roller coaster ride of moodiness and irritability, which impacts and impairs the tone. And if the tone ain't right, love ain't right. Two usual suspects are self, self is getting in the way of God, or unbelief in God's sovereignty and goodness. Unbelief, I do not believe that God is fully in control, or, and or I do not believe God is fully good. It's one of the, it, so we can go through situations and say, well, if, if God were good, this wouldn't happen. If God were in control, this wouldn't happen. The reason I'm mad today, the reason I'm bitter, the reason I'm frustrated, the reason I'm so irritable is because of the weather. Well, who made nature? But the, or, hey, the reason, you know, if, if, the reason I'm, I'm just so touchy and defensive, the reason I'm not taking responsibility for the tone is because you are not meeting my... Ooh, who did we just put on the throne, right? So you trace your mood back to your master. And, and then, then when we understand that, after we question our mood, we probably got to own it. Got to take responsibility for it. <clears throat> Most of us in here, we have smartphones. How silly would it be <clears throat> to take your smartphone and like go to your playlists or your music list and say, there's just no good music on this phone. 
Well, you put the music on the phone or you didn't. So we, we, so we got to look inside of us and say, why, why is there anger in here? Why isn't there joy in here? Own it. Own your move. Own it. Own it. And, and, and then be, beware. Now, God takes us down this path. And, and, and when, it, when tone begins to impair relationships, when moodiness and irritability begins to impair and, and be self-destructive in relationships, here's kind of the typical diagnosis from the Bible. James 4, what is, the, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that war within you? You want what you don't have as you scheme and kill to get it. So self is getting in the way of God. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it from them. Yet you do not have because you, what you want because you don't ask God for it. You don't trust God's sovereignty and goodness. And even when you ask, you don't get it. This is why your prayers malfunction, because your motives are all wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. You only want what will give you <coughs> pleasure. So here's a little exercise about owning our mood, okay? When, you, when you're like having tension in a relationship, tension in your home, tension in your small group, tension in your church, here's what I want us to do based on owning our mood, okay? You ask yourself this question. You know what the problem is? Now, your flesh, your pride, and culture wants you to say, you are. You know what the problem is? Here's what you say. I am not getting what I want. I am not getting what I want. And that is very revealing. Now, some of you are like, oh, my goodness. I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. Or you're sitting next to someone, and you're like, man, I hope they're getting this. And here's what I'm saying. Read that again, okay, before you say that. <laughs> I am not getting what I want. Take it another level. You know what the problem is? I believe I know better than God. Now, when you do that, we could close in prayer and leave, and everybody would be like, wow, that was it? And that's where a lot of sermons end. I'm not going to leave you hanging like that. But the purpose of doing that is so we get self-awareness. And so we let the Word of God read us. And we don't let our unique environment, our unique personality, our weird family read the Word of God. We don't impose our will on the Word of God. We impose and lay the will, the Word of God, on our will, on our lives, so we can be changed to be obedient followers of Jesus Christ. So, rather than leaving here guilty or saying, man, uh, I'm still the exception, see you next week, or I'm not coming back, Here's what, I'm gonna, here's what we have to do. Now, listen, if you are a Christ follower, number three, the number third application point that we're going to get to is, your cho- is, is, some, is a tool you have in your toolbox. If you're not a Christian, you can't do number three. Because number three is this. Change our concentration. I'll say it this way. Frustration is a result of fixation. You're frustrated because of what you're fixated on. Your, your mood is a product of your concentration, what you're, what's getting your attention, what you're focusing on. Are you focusing on the things about them that are kind of irritable? Or are you focusing on who God is for them or who God is in them or who God is in through them? So change our concentration or frustration result of fixation is, is this. When you become a Christian, 
part of becoming a Christian is Jesus Christ captures your attention. Jesus Christ captures your mindset and your mentality. And you don't just look at him as a get out of jail, get out of hell free card. You don't just look at him as as someone you see occasionally at Christmas and Easter. You are looking at Christ as this beautiful, majestic teacher, glorious, eternal being. And you're focused on him and you're fixated on him. And he becomes the master of your life, which means he becomes the master of your mood. And so you ask yourself, this question if Jesus is my master what mood should I consistently have no matter who I'm around or who I'm with or what happens during my day he's that superior that supreme that satisfying that's who Jesus Christ is it's like this. Have you ever, like, I don't know, I'll use athletic imagery because it just works in, in my world. I was raised by a football coach, right? So have you ever like had lunch or dinner with like some guy who was training or gal who was training for something and, and, then they're, and then what they ordered compared to what you ordered and you suddenly realize, man, they're, under, they're following a different rule book than I'm following, you know? I can't say no to three Krispy Kremes, right? You know, I, I, mean, I, can't, I mean, if I drive by and the hot donut now sign is on, my car automatically hung, hangs it in there, Right? But if I'm around like someone who's training for an Ironman or, you know, trying to, you know, get, get, make it into a college, get a college scholarship, Krispy Kreme has no pull and no attraction because they got a different master. So apply that same analogy to your home, to your marriage, to your job, to this church. If our master is Jesus Christ, then we can be patient and kind. Not rude, not irritable, because he's got our concentration. Our gaze is fixed on him, not the frustrations of living with fallen people in a fallen world. So when he's our concentration, then listen, you got to be ready though. The world, Satan, and your flesh love to be disruptions, distractions, or deceptions. Love to be that way. This means for some of you on your way home from work, before you go sit down with your family, you've got to get your focus back on Jesus Christ and you've got to get it off the day you had because you're responsible for the tone in your home. This means when you walk into the corporate setting of Rockbridge Community Church to become part of this amazing family of God where God says, don't forsake the habit of meeting together, you got to get your focus off what happened that last week, off where you're going Sunday or thir- Sunday afternoon or Thursday evening when the services are over. you got to get your focus on Jesus so you bring a tone in here of worship and awe and majesty and holy joy. Because your flesh, Satan, and the world want to be disruptors, distractors, and deceivers. And then what you understand you do is this. Because you have Christ, you can take charge of the tone and the mood. Listen to God's Word. Let it read over us. 14.1. Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. He doesn't, listen, he says, don't follow. He's, He's not saying, oh, just follow your heart. And if your heart's in a bad mood, you be in a bad mood. And just spew venom to all your loved ones. They'll understand. That's not what he just said. He said, don't let your heart be troubled. Now, why, why, why should our hearts not be troubled, Jesus? Believe in God. Believe also in me. And that's not believing a couple of facts like you believe in George Washington or Abraham Lincoln. That's believing that Jesus is superior, supreme, and he can satisfy your soul with living water that never runs dry. 
Psalm 42, 5, David, my soul, why are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Oh, just let me go home and just spew bad tone everywhere, right? No, 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 no. What does David say? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. That means even in the funeral parlor, even in hospital rooms, I'm going to put my hope in God. And he's going to set the tone of my home, my job, my church, my circumstances. He does. Lamentations 3. I continually remember them. That means trouble. And I have become depressed. I'm remembering my troubles and I'm depressed. That's concentration, focus, uh, fixation, frustration, correlation, right? Yet I call this to mind and therefore I have hope. So I call this to mind. Now, look what he just did. This is beautiful. Prophet Jeremiah, okay? He's a psychologist. He's a biblicist. He's a prophet. Look what he just did. I'm remembering something, and it's making me depressed. I'm going to bring something else to my mind. I am not at the mercy of my mood. I am not at the mercy of the first thought that pops into my head. So I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope, not depression, hope. What does he call to mind? Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, I say. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will put my hope in him. Your mood follows your master. Let's pray together. King Jesus, would you just be the master of this moment in our hearts and in the closing of our services? God, let us give you space and not rush out of here or put our mind anywhere but upon you and your crucified, dead, buried, and raised son, high and exalted, Offering living water to any who's thirsty. Asking anybody to come who's weary and heavy laden. And you'll give them rest for their souls. God, we come in here. Maybe we've got something on our mind. That's taken our mood to a place it doesn't need to go. God, that's not to minimize our trials and troubles. But it is to maximize your superiority, your sufficiency. To satisfy even the most troubled soul even the most depressed person, and to allow us, God, to take charge of our mood, to set the tone in our homes, our churches, and all of our relationships, God. King Jesus, help us to get love right. We can't do it unless we're right with you. So put our minds upon you, our King, our Lord, our Savior. And it's in his mighty name we pray, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.